0: What's up, y'all? This is John back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. I've got Sean DeBerry joining me again tonight as we talk about what happened over this past weekend. Wes is not here this week, probably not next week either, Um, so I'm going to have Sean on at least for this week's episode, and if he doesn't hate me by next week, maybe next week too.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. We'll see.
0: (laughs) Verdict's still out. It is for most people. We're going to do something a little bit different at the end of this episode, though. Um, Put a little bit of context on the next couple of big opponents for Georgia. Um, Give some stats that we think kind of tell the story better than scores or box scores do. But, Sean, I forgot to ask you earlier, are you drinking tonight? And if so, what are you drinking? I, uh,
1: sorry, just muted long enough to sneeze. My brain's out. I can't uh, can't promise anything special this evening. I have a uh, Coke Zero on the rocks.
0: Oh, there you go. I am for everybody that's been listening lately. I am back on this ASW Fiddler. Got to got to rep our partner over here at ASW. They're giving away a bottle of Fiddler hat and a T-shirt through our Instagram. For those of you that do not follow, um, we'll talk about that towards the end. And go over all those details in a minute. What? Let, let's start with A and M Bama. That I is frustrating for me to talk about, and that's not even as an A and M fan. If Jimbo had, I don't know, maybe he should have stole some of his son's weed or something. Got a little bit high before calling that last play because that. Or maybe he was high calling that last play because it makes no sense.
1: No. I was going to say that that might have been the problem.
0: <sighs> maybe his son was hot boxing the uh, injury tent. <laughs> but uh, I get that there was a potential pass interference on that last play. But when the game, when it's down to one play at the two yard line as time's expiring. The refs are going to let him play. They're not going to call a borderline pass interference to quite literally decide the game. And if they did, more people would be mad than that they didn't call that flag. I think Jalen Milrow not good as a passer, at least. At the stats on this game uh, slightly better than his last performance. He went twelve of nineteen for only one hundred and eleven yards. And just looked like a deer in headlights after his first read, or trying to put a second hand on the football. I, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with that. With uh, with that one. If you want to go ahead and take this one away, Sean. Yeah, sure. Thanks, man. Um, so I, I don't know
1: how you could handcraft a better scenario for A&M in this game. I mean, we had a, a bat. They had a backup quarterback. They were going against. Um, and that backup no you know, backup, was was uh, one interception, two lost fumbles. McClellan lost a fumble. Bama was one for three on field goals. And Bama was 111 receiving yards. If I was telling you all of these stats at the first game of the year, man, I would, I would have bet everything I owned that Bama got blown out. But, you know, Bama is Bama. Um, you know, so I, I think it's worth noting, though, here – that i don't know that bama is and and please don't come at me or anything but i don't think bama is the bama of old i don't think bama is the bama of 3 years ago where they just put in hurts and you know go like nothing happened you know there's a clear drop off looking last year in the national title game uh and and this year with the you know backup quarterback there's a big drop off in talent between the starter and the second string it's not just Somebody new stepping in that's probably even better than the starter. You know, it's a big drop off, and, and I'll give it credit to Bama for, you know, adjusting their game plan for Milro. But, you know, I, I just don't know what, 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 what Jimbo was thinking on this. I don't know if you heard on ESPN today, they were talking about how Jimbo was literally running down the sideline before the play, yelling at the quarterback to throw it to that receiver. Yeah.
0: And, yeah you you got
1: to have a play that gives a chance. I mean, that ball wasn't catchable in the first place. Was there pass interference? I don't know. But at the end of the day, you got to throw a ball over the goal line and make it catchable for your, for your guy. And I'm just, I'm just blown away that that was the play call they decided to go with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely forgot about that. The, the pass went to the one-yard line, yeah. out of bounds at the one-yard line. So even if he had caught it, it wasn't a touchdown. And that's from the guy that Jimbo started as the season or during the season opener for two years in a row. It's not like you can say, "Oh, we had a backup." Like, no, you trusted this guy of two years straight to run it no,
1: did. Well, po- post game he blamed it on the quarterback. Who, you know, I-, I got respect for the young man. He's walking down the field hobbling. Looks like he just went around with Mike Tyson. You know, struggling yeah. to get up, and he's going just like nothing. And then your coach has the audacity to go, "Oh, he was a backup."
0: Like, what more do you want from the kid? But, but, right, maybe you shouldn't have had what seemed to be your backup offensive line. I'm trying to pull the stat up now, but it was something like 30 or 50 quarterback hurries and over 10 knockdowns that he took in that game on top of running the ball. Right. I mean, just after, after the play call at the end of that game and with just how the team seems to play, I truly would not be surprised if they try to buy him out at the end of the season. You know, they got I, the money, I, that oil money, is something serious. But he, his his track record is unexcusable.
1: But you know, at the, at the end of the day, if you take away what's his name at Florida State, my vocabulary just went away. Um James Winston. If you take away Jameis Winston, what has Jimbo done? Yeah, yeah, he's supposed to be a so, quarterback developer and the quarterback whisperer, but. Is he, or did he just have you know generational talent in Winston and hadn't done anything since?
0: Yeah, no, I I think I think Wes may have talked about that over the last couple of weeks, but it's it blows my mind. These guaranteed contracts are just a waste of money. The two biggest that I can think of right off the top of my head are Jimbo, who they're talking about paying sixty plus million dollars to buy him out of his contract, and then. Mel Tucker, who is below five hundred, six games into the season. Yeah, it, so checking the stats out, Alabama had fourteen quarterback hurries and three sacks against what is technically a and starting offensive line, and you can't blame the quarterback if your starting offensive line can't protect him. No doubt. what's uh what's will's favorite uh term for coaches hope merchant <laughs> that uh that seems to be what jimbo is uh, was talking about this off season if only they could have bought better line play
1: <laughs> well you know it's definitely not the win i'm sure saban wanted after all the off season chatter and talk but you know at the end of the day that's bama doing bama things and finding a way to win
0: yeah Next game I want to talk about is Tennessee at LSU. Um, I think we all expected Tennessee to win this game, but good Lord, I did not expect a 40-13 victory in Death Valley. And I still, it was a three-point spread. I don't think LSU covered that if it was a night game. LSU was just, was bad. And, we're gonna put we're gonna put Tennessee into perspective a little bit later, but they won by a ton of points, like I said, forty to thirteen, but allowed Jaden Daniels, who has not been a good passer this so far this season, seventy one percent passing, three hundred yards. That same Jaden Daniels last week was forty percent against Auburn and fifty nine and a half against Mississippi State. So LSU is just bad on offense. And Tennessee still gave up 300 yards passing, which I think should be more concerning than their fans are uh, willing to admit. Because I know Tristan's talked about, like, yeah, I'll give up 600 yards if I only give up this many points. And it's like, against a better team, those yards turn into points. So I – if if Tristan's listening, you should be concerned because you've got two top fifteen offenses over the next four weeks, and it don't look like you're gonna get a break. what are uh what were your thoughts on this one?
1: yeah, so so first off, I'm with you i was I was impressed with Tennessee and the fact that uh, you know they beat lSU like they stole something. I mean, you know, Tennessee went in there, put their foot on Brian Kelly's throat, and it, it may still be there. So, yeah, you know, I, I was impressed with the <laughs> offensive showing. Um, what impressed me the most was, I, I forget exactly what they call it, but, you know, the final couple minutes of the second quarter and then the first couple minutes of the third quarter, you know, not that the game was close, but Tennessee was able to go down the field, get a field goal, then go right down the field coming out of the second half and get a touchdown. That 10-point swing can, can be a big difference, you know, in, in a game um so yeah, I was I was I was you know happy for him for that and I'm like you I expected the win I didn't expect that kind of domination you know but what was most impressive to me by Tennessee which I didn't expect was you know 263 yards on the ground you know the Tennessee run game was was a little impressive you know and I, again I know LSU's not a world beater this year but they're they're an improved team um and, and it's a road game so I'll give Tennessee from credit you know some credit there but I'm with you. My concern, if I'm Tennessee, is my secondary and giving up, you know, 300 yards to Daniels, 453 yards to Richardson a couple weeks ago in the in the Florida game, you know, made him look right. like a Heisman contender. And, you know, I think, I, again, I'm not saying that, you know, Tennessee is going to go undefeated. I'm not saying they're going to lose every game, but the recipe, everybody keeps talking about, you know, Georgia's struggles and the recipe to beat Georgia is out there now. Well, the recipe to beat Tennessee is out there now. They can't stop oh, yeah. you on offense, and Henan Hooker can't stop you if he's on the sideline. So those slow, methodical drives keeping Tennessee offense on the sideline is is going to end up being the death of them. And not to take away from you know previewing for the next, but I think that's going to be Bama's game plan going into the game is you know keep them on the sideline, and 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 you know let your let your run game kind of take over and, and see what happens there. But yeah. Impressed with the swing there by Tennessee and the good showing on the road in Death Valley, which is not an easy place to play, you know, daytime or nighttime.
0: Yeah, and something something that I kind of forgot to say um, last week. Sorry, brain fart. One of my favorite bets every week this season has been Hendon Hooker over on Rush Yards. Because it's always set at like 30, 35, maybe 40 against these lower teams. I'm not taking that next week, but for anybody that likes to bet, take Hendon Hooker's rush yards against pretty much every team not named Georgia and Alabama.
1: Because it's I also a side note, I also love taking Tennessee touchdown first score.
0: Yep.
1: On the prop Tennessee,
0: race. Tennessee to score first, Hendon Hooker over on the rush yards. Those have been quite literally hit every week so far this year.
1: Yeah, again, I agree with your disclaimer, though. I'm not sure I'd pull those out for this week.
0: Oh, no, absolutely not. No. Next game we're going to get into is South Carolina at Kentucky. And uh, Shane Beamer got his throw on the sunglasses season-defining win against the at-the-time 13 ranked 13th-ranked Wildcats. Um, Kentucky's offense was worse than one-sided without Will Levis. They were like .5-sided. They had C-Rod and nothing else. It, I cannot pronounce the guy's first name, but their quarterback backup, Sharon, um, had a QBR of 29.5. High which, as men,
1: high as men. High as men.
0: Isn't isn't a QBR of like thirty two where you just take the snap and hit incomplete passes with everyone?
1: It's kind of like getting a four hundred on your SAT for writing your name.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, if he was taking the SAT, he got like a one fifty. <laughs> um, he didn't get any help with the Kentucky offensive line, though. I the oh brain fart again. I am sorry. I am supposed to be reading this right off the screen. The way the Kentucky offensive line looked, though, I don't even think that Will Levis would have made the winning difference in this game. South Carolina defense has held one other team below the 121 rushing yards they gave up to Kentucky. Their opponents this season, Georgia State, Arkansas, Georgia, Charlotte, South Carolina State. There's only one of those teams they held under 121 rushing yards. Can you guess which one it is?
1: South Carolina State.
0: South Carolina State had 183 rushing yards. It was Charlotte. Wow. Right. South Carolina's defensive line looked like they finally put their talent together because they've got a few four and five stars across that defensive front. They just have not. It was like. It was like trying to fit a uh, round peg in a square hole until until this week. And, or square peg in a round hole until this week. And they finally put the square peg in the square hole at the right angle. Because they just tore up what uh, what is now being called the big blue gate. Instead of the big blue wall. Because uh, you ain't even got to have a ticket to go on that ride. You just got to kind of walk past them. They had six sacks. And this is the second lowest rushing total they've given up. And after after you give your takes on this one, we'll do a uh, little for better or worse. But uh, what are your takes on this one?
1: So you, you stole my line in the very beginning. Uh, I think which should be the uh, the annual sunglasses and dancing rivalry. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and I I want to go on record. I do like Shane Beamer. I think he's a he's a good coach. I love his energy. I love what he's doing at South Carolina. But is this the Kentucky that was going to rival Georgia in the East? I mean, is is this the Kentucky with the the Heisman winning quarterback? Like, I I just don't.
0: Number one overall pick, Will Levis. Yeah, man.
1: That's right. Number one overall pick, not Heisman. But as, as a Kentucky team that is, you know, supposed to be second, third in the East, you beat South Carolina with or without your starting quarterback. If you yep. got to give it to your stud running back and your workhorse and let him you know run it you know fifty times a game, you do it, but you don't slip up against South Carolina. I don't really have much other to say. You know, here this is a very disappointing showing. You know, congratulations to Shane Beamer for I believe his first road win in the SEC with South Carolina. I think you are correct. Um, you know, so happy for him and his guys. They they earned it. They played well, but you know, just a bad showing by Kentucky.
0: Chris Doring is uh, is not real happy about Kentucky after their third loss of the season, is he?
1: Probably not. I'd go with no. <laughs> but then I, again, is, that, is that guy ever right?
0: Um, I I would say no because l- last season he was talking about how good Anthony Richardson was. I just take that <laughs> for what it is.
1: We just need to be happy he's not picking us.
0: <laughs> Correct. Um, so now we're we're getting to Sean's first for better or worse question here. You know what? Let's just go with Will Levis, the way this offensive line played on Saturday. Is South Carolina better or Kentucky worse? And that's both of that's than we thought.
1: So give me the question again, with Will Levis?
0: With Will Levis and the way the offensive line played, is South Carolina better than we thought or is Kentucky worse than we thought?
1: You know, there's that Disney meme, and I forget the movie where there's the two guys looking at each other, and they go both, but both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think South Carolina's got some things coming together, but I just, you know, if I had to pick one, you know, I just don't think Kentucky's as good as we thought coming into the season, and as, as good as some of the, you know, the Chris Dorings of the world were saying. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty pretty clear you could make a good argument that. Now, again, I'm not saying either of these teams are going to finish, you know, second in the East or anything, but you know south carolina's trending in the right direction where kentucky's just kind of falling off
0: yeah no it, i'm i'm blown away with that with the rapid descent of kentucky so far this season because they went into florida or they went into the swamp and beat florida in a tough grind it out run the ball with your with your second and third string running back and the quarterback game plan And their offensive line played very well in that game. And they've just gotten like two steps worse every week since. And it's not like it was just a small step. It was like they took two full steps down the staircase every week since that Florida game. And it just – it's kind of mind-blowing. I agree. Next, we are going to Arkansas at Mississippi State. And uh, I just want to know if the listeners – and anyone that hasn't, are y'all finally listening when I talk about Mississippi State being a good football team? Right. I've been saying it. Not only did Will Rogers pass up all-time great dog Aaron Murray for most career completions, needing a significant number less games, and I get it, air raid offense, blah, 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 still a significant feat that stood for 10 years. But Mississippi State had 173 yards rushing. You heard me right. The Air Raid put up 173 yards on the ground for the first time since Mike Leach has been at Mississippi State. I do think Arkansas has found their at least temporary answer at quarterback. Uh, Hornsby had 234 yards passing, 114 yards on the ground. But Mississippi State was doing whatever they wanted on offense. And uh, Arkansas, with their injuries on defense, just did not seem to have an answer. It's not looking good for Barry Odom this season. Did you watch this? And if so, what are are your thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, I watched some of the game, um, and I'm with you. Uh, all, All of a sudden, UGA's second half of our schedule doesn't quite look as easy as people were saying you know, we got the, the Florida game, which is a rivalry, so I don't really care what stats or anything, you can throw that out. Then you got the offense of Tennessee and and, and, and now Mississippi State coming in. And if you look at if you look at Mike Leach's uh his resume and, and his accommodations, now he's a not only a wedding planner and a bigfoot aficionado, uh he also has the number one passing offense in the SEC. And oh yeah, they can run the ball too. I mean, it's 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 that's gonna be a very, very interesting game. Um and and just I mean I'm with you they were doing whatever they wanted to with with Arkansas and yeah backup quarterback I get that but that doesn't excuse 31 of 48 for 400 yards and three touchdowns through the air yeah but unless I'm mistaken that backup quarterback isn't playing linebacker safety you know at the same time so you know it is what it is I'm I'll be honest I'm a little little nervous about Mississippi State.
0: And what I've been, what I have been saying since July when we started this podcast, Mississippi State is going to be the toughest game because what they do well on offense is what Georgia has not defended well against. They run a ton of inside slants. They run a ton of mesh routes. A ton of pick plays, right at the inside linebackers, right at the star defender. The part of the parts of Georgia's defense that are new and still learning are the parts of the defense that the Air Raid is designed to attack. And now you've got running backs that not only catch wheel routes, which we all know about, but they're also running the ball well. Mississippi State's offensive line is getting better every week. I, Tennessee is going to be a tough game because of their offense, but Mississippi State has the offense and the defense to make that the toughest game of the season and y'all better be ready for this rant that I'm gonna go on here in a few weeks because it is coming
1: yeah and I uh, I was saving some of that for the for the look ahead but I agree a thousand percent I mean I'm I'm more worried about you know Mississippi State because can we score on them what's that look like where Tennessee I'm not worried about scoring on them even Tristan says he'll give up 600 yards like you said so I know we can get points there and slow down the game and keep them off the field but you know Mississippi State seems to have an answer for that
0: yeah and last time I checked Mississippi State actually led the SEC in interceptions because their defense has taken the ball away so well not sure it's been a couple weeks since I've checked but uh their defense is not just stop. They will also take the ball away. But enough about Mississippi State. We're going to get to talking about the Deep South's oldest. Is it a rivalry anymore? <laughs> Auburn's won twice in what, two, only three times since the Cam Newton game. They've only won once at or in Athens over the last 15 years. I, This doesn't seem like much of a rivalry anymore. But it was another slow start for the Dogs. They did not score a point until there was 11 minutes and 42 seconds left in the second quarter. That's not as slow of a start as they've gotten off to. But it was still uh, very, very nerve-wracking from what we've seen over the last few weeks. And something that I think I mentioned last week, if not, I know I've texted some people about it. There was a rumor going around that Stetson Bennett injured his shoulder, um, slight shoulder injury in that Missouri game. I think we all remember that hit he took where he got up swinging his arm around, um, which does explain some of the overthrows, some of the off-target throws. Uh, It also sounds like he isn't projected to miss any time but I a little look ahead to next week. I really hope they run the score up against Vandy, get him and most of the starters out to uh, to get everybody healthy with the bye week coming. Stetson did get over half of his stats in the second half of the game, including that sixty four yard touchdown run, um, where the the orange and blue seas just parted and nobody got really close to him until he was in the end zone. They. Finally figured out how to run the ball with some consistency. Still, still a little bit disappointed in the uh guard spot on the offensive line. Anyone that's watched a game with me knows that I'm not real happy with Tate Ratledge's play here lately. And Truss has been better, but still not what we've had over the last few years, even though, you know, last year it seemed like Schaefer was lacking a little bit and even got replaced in that national championship game. Um Most of the plays that most of the run plays, at least, that are able to move the chains go into the outside behind Brock and Darnell. I'm glad this game wasn't close enough to need the starters in the fourth quarter because McIntosh is still banged up. Milton went out with that, uh, with that groin injury. And uh, it looked at one point like Brock was hobbling on the sidelines there. Um, and like we talked about a minute ago, the second half is loaded with tough games that we need everybody healthy for. But I will stop ranting and let Sean take over here.
1: Yeah, you know, so first off, I just want to go on my soapbox and and, and say, you know, can we stop with all the Carson Beck talk? Can we just <laughs> let Bennett be the quarterback and stop, you know, our armchair quarterback and an armchair coaching and, and and calling him out? Look, hurt, not hurt. The dude gets it done. He makes the plays. Is he a Heisman contender or first round pick? I don't, I don't think so probably not but he's a dog and he, he's given everything for us so you know, let's let's give him some slack um yeah you know you're right 100% slow start fast start definitely helps win games um, but you know I I think you know and as the adage goes it's not how you how you start it's how you finish but you know we all want to start and finish strong but while our passing game was off in the first half I think all in all this was our most improved game of the season since Oregon. You know, the offensive line, defensive line game, was it perfect? No, but it was solid. Our run game was the best it's been all year. Our defense and the secondary played really well. You know, we gave up some points, but I think the offense has got to take a little bit of responsibility for that. You know, you know, in, in the last few weeks with the interceptions and the, uh, the field positioning where they've been left with short field to work with um, and, and different things like that, but... I will say this: you know, everybody is talking about UGA's passing game, how it hadn't been, you know, how how it has been the last few weeks, and you know, it's really gone downhill. You know, we've got the second best passing stats in the SEC. Yep, just behind Mississippi State and ahead of Tennessee. You know, yep. so so while I feel like we've gotten a little a little greedy with how good our, our we were last year at putting up points and outscoring everybody that. You know, we. I, I, Stetson said it best. If you if if you heard heard his post game interview, guys, we beat an SEC team by thirty points. Yep. Is it perfect? No. Could we have done things better? And he'll be the first one to admit we can. But that's a big win, and there's areas of improvement. Um, but you know, I, overall, I think it's our most improved game of the year.
0: Yeah. No, I I agree. I was, I was. I know I've said this on the show before, people in my section at the stadium hate me because I'll sit there and do like pre-play dissections and <laughs> it drives me nuts how little they're willing to get Darnell Washington involved in the offense. Every time he touches the ball, it's a first down. And that's, he could grab it at the line of scrimmage and fall down and get a first down with how damn tall he is. And they just... They just for whatever reason, refuse to give him the ball. And then they're getting – if you watch it from the view we sit at in the stadium, which is opposite end zone of the scoreboard, 300 level, so it's like the perfect all-22 view. You can see every player on every play without turning your head kind of thing. And they very rarely spread the formations out to actually get defenses spread out wide. And this is something that I was talking to Kelsey about because she kept asking during the game why I wasn't or why I wanted to spread out more. And when you've got your X receiver 10 yards off the line of scrimmage and your slot guy five yards off the line of scrimmage and then your Z receiver 15 yards off the other direction, you're not using the entire field. When if you line guys up number to number, the corner on the far side of the field, he can't come over and make a play. So you're taking guys out of being able to make plays on defense when you spread the formation out more. And the way the offensive line has struggled, I would like to see them use that more just to take opportunistic tackles away and get those extra yards. And like we keep talking about, they're going to have to use those type of plays to be able to get those extra two yards to keep Tennessee's offense off the field here in a few weeks.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, obviously I'm no offensive coordinator, but, you know, some of the things that I, I wonder why we're not doing more of is let us Stetson roll him in the pocket. Let him move. I'm blown away right. by the accuracy of his throws while on the run. Yeah. And, you know, you saw – obviously everybody saw the huge run against Auburn, you know, with his feet. I mean, the kid's fast. And he's accurate when he throws the ball. Roll him out. Let him, let him do some things – I agree a thousand percent. We got to get Darnell more targets. I would almost... Especially rather, in the red zone. I was about to say, I would first in goal from the five, I would rather see three jump balls thrown to him in a row and just let him go make a play. I mean, he's a foot and a half yeah. taller than everybody else on the field. Let him make a play. But I also think we've got to get Brock more targets. We got to get the Darnell, the more more. but you know, Brock Bowers is our best receiver. He's our best threat. And, you know, this last couple of weeks, his targets have been extremely low. Now, there was one slight overthrow last week where, you know, and I know Stetson would agree he, he wasn't the best ball placement, but we've seen Brock lay out and extend and get those balls before, you know, and that didn't happen there. But, you know, also something I've been kind of wondering myself is obviously right now, especially with Arian Smith hurt and A.D. Mitchell not 100%, you know, we don't have a whole lot of speed uh, on on, on you know, offense to catch the ball, and I know that this wouldn't be the quickest combination, but did you see Delft in the fourth quarter? Oh, yeah. Why don't we put all three of them in? Talk about a matchup nightmare. Who's going to cover them?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. But I will say something that I should have talked about earlier and I was texting Wes about on Saturday. Both Arian Smith and A.D. Mitchell warmed up with no limitations. They were running routes. Yeah, against Auburn. They were running routes. They were cutting well. They didn't look slow. They were catching the ball. I almost think this was one of those games where, because they both dressed out, I think it was one of those games where they were available. And if the game was close going into the fourth quarter, Kirby may have pulled him out to do a little bit more because Arian did play a few snaps. Um, But I think it's one of those things where he knows how tough the second half of this season is going to get. So Mm -hmm. he's trying to make sure that all the guys that at some point or another have struggled to stay healthy, for example, Arian Smith, um, and uh, even Dominic Blaylock, who played a lot more in the second half than he did the first half, I think he's trying to keep those guys healthy so that when we really need them down the stretch here, that they're as fresh as they can be.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and I have no problem with that. But at the end of the day, you know, health is one thing, timing is another you know, if we're not getting them enough steps or snaps where they're keeping their timing and their rhythm with step and and everything, I mean, could it could it bite us in the butt? Is my only concern.
0: Yeah, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the week when we go into the preview because that's something getting guys that haven't necessarily started a lot this season experience is something that I really want to see next week. Yeah, for sure. But this week's.
1: Fisher-Walker went 16 yards. He drove right over Orange Church just driving
0: and running with those big five. My God, a Player of the Week has to go to none other than Branson Robinson. His first significant playing time, he had just under 100 rushing yards with 98, including the first touchdown of his career. And I don't know about you guys, but from the stands, it looked like every time that man touched the ball, he was getting 10, 15 yards. He was... Explosive and running through guys, and I love to see that because what happened yesterday Georgia got a big running back flip recruit from UCLA, a four star guy. So that's uh, that's some, it's one of those, this is why we do it games,
1: yeah. So, I mean, all I'm gonna say about this, this guy dude is um, if he was running down the street towards me, I would hit him with my car. Um <laughs> because the dude looks like and a probably still guy. get knocked over. The car would get knocked over. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, complete stud. Uh, very impressed with him. And you know, he's got a lot of potential. Uh, and I thought I used to think looking at the workout videos of like, you know, Nick Chubb and some of those guys, like, man, those guys are big. You know, this 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 dude's gonna be a workhorse, and we need to get him the ball as often as possible.
0: Yeah, and something that just came to mind when you were talking about Nick Chubb. In his uniform, he looks like Nick Chubb. He really does. But the helmet comes down low on him the same way Chubb's does. He fills out the uniform very similar. When he had that touchdown, we were all looking over, and I was like, man, that really reminds me of seeing 27 instead of 22. And I think he is going to be a special player in Athens for at least the next two years, three.
1: Agreed, agreed.
0: So for our uh, rest of season context segment, we don't have a fun name for it. I'll work on that. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about some stats that I've dug up, did a little bit of research on for Georgia's next two big opponents, Florida and Tennessee. Um, put some context into things that maybe maybe you don't get from looking at the box score or even the score at the end of the game. Um we'll go ahead and start with Florida because that is the next big opponent that Georgia's got. Florida has given up over 30 points once this season to Tennessee and that uh, Anthony Richardson Heisman campaign video. But their total defense ranking is 99th, meaning that they're giving up a ton of yards to be 32 teams from the bottom of all FBS, that's Power 5, Group of 5. Every team, 131 teams, they're 99th. So they're giving up a ton of yards, but just finding a way to keep them out of the end zone. Um, They're also putting up more than 30 points in four of their six games, but they're 49th in total offense, so that's total offensive yards gained. But if you dissect that number a little bit, they're nineteenth in rushing offense, but 92nd in passing offense. So basically they're running the ball really well, but they're behind they're behind Vanderbilt in passing offense for a little bit of context there. That's that's very not good. Florida's opponent's average scoring offense rank is 44th. So that's taking the scoring offense of every team that Florida's played and averaging that out. But Eastern Washington is 63rd in the FCS, which is over – it's in the bottom half. So that sack can get taken with a grain of salt either way. Um, But Florida's opponent's average scoring defense rank is 61 and a half. So basically they're not putting up a ton of points on teams that don't have great defenses. Sean, after looking at these numbers, what what are your thoughts about this Florida team that you haven't really seen on the field? I,
1: I think it's time that we can put the, the Anthony Richardson hype behind us. Um, he's a capable quarterback um, and this is a very average Florida team. Now at the same time, I want to give Napier some credit for what he's done coming in because it wasn't an easy job and, you know, the support and everything he's had. But it's a very average team. When when you are – let me pull up what I had here. When you are behind Arkansas, South Carolina, and Kentucky, the way they play this year in total passing in the SEC, you got to ask yourself, you know, what's going on. And, and kind of what we were talking about earlier – Obviously, I'm always nervous of, of the Gators and you know, in Jacksonville. It's a rivalry game. You know, anything can happen, but I'm just not as worried about them as I am some of the other people on our schedule, like Mississippi State or Tennessee. Um, I think that's a good matchup for us. Um, you know, in, you know, because they they they're not very successful throwing the ball. They're more of a you know, run it down your throat kind of thing. Um, where they've had some success, but again, against who? So.
0: Um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty confident about Georgia going into that matchup. And just – got some notes here on the side. Georgia is 12th in the country in rush defense. So, Florida's strength on Georgia's strength. And then you've got Florida's defense not being as good as they're potentially capable of being so far this year. And Georgia's offense, total offense, is fourth in the country, which I know I damn sure didn't believe that until I looked it up myself on the NCAA's official website. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Georgia's fourth in total offense going against a Florida defense that is
1: 99th. Yeah, but can you imagine how much better we'd be if we started Carson Beck?
0: (laughs) Yeah, man, we might be like seven. Oh, sorry, that's (laughs) Tennessee math yeah I, I agree I was a little bit more concerned about this game until I dug into the numbers and saw that Florida's like opponent strength is not good but the yards they're giving up is this bad so now we get into Tennessee and I spent way more time on this than I should have over the last couple of days because you know Tristan love you truly the group and the group chat would not be the same without you. But uh, you're a little. I I said it before, man. I will drive up to Knoxville with cash money if you show me who your dealer is, because you got to be on something to have this much confidence in Tennessee going in their next few games. Tennessee's defense looks better than last year when you watch them play, except for the linebackers, who are probably the most undisciplined group in the entire country. But looks can be deceiving. Their rush defense ranked 11th. Great, right? Their pass defense is 128th overall out of 131 teams. There's one SEC team that's worse, and that's Vanderbilt. And if your if your calling card is you're better than Vanderbilt at something, probably shouldn't be your calling card. Their their opponents' average scoring offense it averages out to worse than Florida's at 71.4, which is in the bottom half. Their opponent's average scoring defense is even worse than that at 77.8. And when you put all of that into context, Tennessee's number one overall total offense seems very, very overinflated when the defenses they've played are worse than bottom half of the country. The offenses they've played are worse than bottom half in the country. Tennessee's closest games, Pitt and Florida, have the 30 – Pitt is 32nd in scoring offense. Florida is 63rd in scoring offense. And those are the closest games they had, both single digits games. One of those went into overtime. The other was really close to it. Georgia's currently 17th in scoring offense which, once again, never would have believed it until I looked it up. But um, for all the Tennessee fans that have hope, Bama's fifth in scoring offense and sixth in scoring defense. Good luck. With Bryce. Yeah, with Bryce, And that, that that's even taken into um, account last week's game. Yeah. Like, I so got I'll, these stats this afternoon.
1: I'll say this. Do I think on paper and everything that Georgia is a better team? 100%. What worries me about Tennessee is the belief. Not just the belief of the fan base, but that, you know, Tennessee kind of strikes me as Georgia last year. They were, we were so hungry for it, willing to do anything, willing to you know do whatever we can. And what, what concerns me, all stats and all numbers aside, is if we get out to, against Tennessee to a slow start, I don't know that we can, you know, if if they get ahead big enough, I don't know that we can come back. Now, do I think we ultimately win the game? I do, but we got to play Georgia football, not this, you know, stuff we've been doing against, you know, uh, you know the, the 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 slow starts in the last few weeks against the Kent States of the world. So it's something to consider. Now, I'm 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 extremely if you're know, going back a couple of years with all the hires in the SEC: Heupel, Napier, uh, Harson. I would have told you Hypo was at the bottom of the list of what he was going to do and that he was in and out in a couple of years. No, I'll give Tristan this one. You know, that Tennessee team is night and day of what they were a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, for also, sure. 100%. Also, I'm not sure if we have any people here on TikTok, but if you're on TikTok and you don't follow, what's this guy's name? Andy, A N D Y V F L 423, you're really missing out on life. And I'm not sure if you can hear this, uh, Emory. You'll have to let me know. Oh, is, is that it. the video? Yeah. Yeah,
0: I watched that a few minutes ago. It's a little sneak peek. Yeah,
1: I got smoky on my chest. After Saturday, then Bama fans will later rest. Now, let me release some of this heat. Hey, Bama fans, take a seat. So, I mean, according to whoever this guy is there, it's over. I mean, it, you know, it's not even a game next week.
0: I – and we'll get into that later in the week, but uh,
1: – For sure. But, yeah, I, uh, to, to recap everything I was I was saying there, you know, numbers aside, we got to get off to a fast start. We got to play our brand of football and limit the mistakes, and, and I think we'll be fine against Tennessee as well. The
0: reason that I – Lost a lot of weight on my shoulders about the Tennessee game, as their pass defense being 128, and Georgia should be healthy for that game.
1: That's a fair point.
0: Because if you're telling me that a healthy Brock Bowers, Darno Washington, AD Mitchell, and Lad McConkey can't take over 128 ranked pass defense, once again, I, that guy probably shares the same dealer as Tristan for how high they've been on Tennessee.
1: A mad credit to the guy for believing in his team, though. I I, support that.
0: Yeah, I I love passion, but uh, I also love rationality. So, I think, unless Sean's got anything else to say, I think that's going to do it for our recap episode here. It's all I got this evening. All right, so... Like I said earlier, Wes is going to be gone for at least a week, maybe a little bit more. I'll have to get with him on that. Um, Sean might be back. Depends on uh, depends on if he doesn't hate me and how the schedule goes next week. But yeah. follow our Instagram at nothing.finer.pod, our Twitter at FinerPod. The Facebook group, you just search on Facebook, Nothing Finer podcast. We will still do the uh rate and review the show. Send me a screenshot, I will send you a sticker, Sean. I'm waiting on all your stuff to get here before I send it out. Um, uh, okay. and if you want to take part in our ASW giveaway, we put it up last week. You got to get on our Instagram. Um, ASW has given us a bottle of ASW Fiddler, a Fiddler t shirt, and a hat. And then we're going to give away a sticker, koozie, and this a dope-ass t-shirt we designed that I don't even have one of yet. So you'll probably be the – if you win the giveaway, you'll probably be the first one to have one. <clears throat> um, but all that's on our Facebook and Instagram if you want to find pictures of all that stuff. Um trying to think. I don't – you know what? I don't think I've got anything else. So we'll go ahead and close it out. Always remember there's nothing finer in the land.
1: Then a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Go dogs.
0: Go dogs. Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. You need 10,
1: play clock at four. From the pocket, launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone and Georgia is gonna conquer the Crimson Tide.